This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a show where we discuss how to navigate the highs and lows of the human condition. Each week, we address a new topic, and we see that there are two choices we can make. We can lower the bar, go with the flow, and react to what the world throws at us, or we can be proactive, deciding in advance how we want to live, and in essence, rise above the human condition. We hope the discussion today is just what you need for the week ahead. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Good to have you with us. Today's date is November 29, 2021. So good to have you with us. Um, I think I mentioned last week that I finally got back on a rhythm of sorts. Um, So after doing our Transcendent Parenting series and all of those things, um, you know, we had kind of moved things around and we had done some pre-recording of episodes, really got us out of whack. Uh, So we are back basically editing, researching, writing, and editing, and recording uh, each week kind of on a normal rhythm again, which is great for me because it's just how I operate, right? Each of us has a, a way that's comfortable to us. And for me, this is the most comfortable where I kind of have this rhythm each week and I knock out an episode. Um, and I love, I love it that way. So, so we are basically in real time. Um, if you listen to the episodes on the week that they are launched, we are experiencing the same things. So what was it this week? Thanksgiving, of course, right? We had Thanksgiving. We had the the long four-day Thanksgiving break. Um, great time to just kick back, enjoy time with the family, um, spend a little time decompressing from the craziness of the world um, and focusing on the things that you're thankful for and grateful for in life. Um, so I don't know about you, but I had an amazing time and I hope you did too. I hope you were able to Deep de-stress and unplug a little bit um, in order to move into the, the remainder of the holiday season. So let's jump in. A minute of transparency this week is called Too Much of a Good Thing. And I totally could have connected this to Thanksgiving because what do we do every Thanksgiving meal? We typically eat too much of a good thing, Right. Uh, when you hear somebody say too much of a good thing, what typically comes to your mind, right? What's the first thing you think of next? If you're like me, you just finish the sentence. Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. I believe that's the way I learned it, at least growing up. But unfortunately, looking at back at you know some of the decisions I've made over my lifetime, and um, even just recently, you know, I don't I don't think that I really believe that's true. On, on all levels, that too much of a good thing is actually a bad thing. In fact, I think I was living in some situations like it was the opposite that was true, right? Maybe subconsciously my mantra was this, more of a good thing is probably an even better thing. And because of this, I think I got myself into some situations that were not the best. Um, and some of them did become bad things. So let's walk through two, just two illustrations, Uh, the first being alcohol. So I grew up being taught that alcohol was bad, 
not just bad for you, but to the level of being sinful, I guess. You know, if you look at it from a religious or a spiritual perspective, it was sinful. It was wrong. My parents didn't drink. um, And obviously they looked down on people who did. And to this day, I don't really know if they ever drank growing up or if they stopped or if they never drank a day in their life just because it wasn't a conversation that we really had. Um, Maybe admitting that they had drank before would put them in a position that was harder to defend, right? At any rate, I grew up with this belief until high school. Senior year, I had the opportunity to drink, and for some reason, I didn't even think twice. I just dove right in. And this went on sporadically through college, and then, you know, at some point I decided, I really need to make a decision on this. And for some reason, I decided I wasn't going to do it any longer. So I just stopped. And I literally went back to being almost as dogmatic about it as my parents were. I think that lasted probably somewhere until my 30s. And then, you know, I, I wasn't drinking and I was basically looking down on people who did. Right. And then a couple things happened. In the mid 30s, somewhere in there, uh, I threw my back out and I began the fun process of dealing with lower back pain uh, off and on since then, actually. Uh, And then the next thing is I went to the doctor and he told me that I had high cholesterol and that I needed to be on medication for the rest of my life. Now, I don't know, you can call it a midlife crisis or just a low moment in my life, whatever the case, but I was as irritated as I had ever been. I just got angry. I was angry at life. I was angry with the human condition. On some level, I was probably even angry at God when I really look back and think about it. You know, here I had tried to live the Christian lifestyle, right? Eating well, not smoking, not drinking. And look what I had to show for it lifelong back issues, and high cholesterol. So at some point in there, I just threw up my hands and I was like, forget this. And I went back to drinking. Why? Well, because I wasn't going to live the healthy lifestyle if I wasn't going to get to reap the benefits. Now, I know that sounds a bit snotty, doesn't it? And you're not wrong, right? The drinking started as it did before in social situations, at parties, when friends were over, when we were at the lake for the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. And it was good. I mean, I really liked it. So the mantra that I was probably living by, more of a good thing is probably an even better thing, started to kick in at some point. And I started buying more alcohol. I bought it for the house. And before long, I always had a handle of some sort in the fridge or in the garage. And it quickly became an every night thing. This led to a lifestyle that began to show problems. So I, I know that I was checking out of life, right? I was getting into negative situations. Uh, we started to have some relational problems between Tammy and I. Social situations that I can pretend didn't happen, but they did. And this went on for years, at least 10, if I'm being honest with myself. So a very good example of too much of a good thing. Now let's talk about something not quite as uh, difficult. So let's talk about coffee. Now, coffee isn't really something that people consider dangerous, right? There's really no way that you can overdo coffee, right? I mean, most people drink it every day and many of those throughout the day. 
And it's not like alcohol where you can get drunk or pass out or do stupid things. True. All true. But for me, it isn't necessarily the danger that th that's the issue, right? It's the concept of doing something more than it needs to be done. It's the mindset that if it's good and you like it, then you should just do more of it. And that's how it works with coffee. Similar to alcohol, when I first started drinking coffee, I liked it, right? And for quite a while, it was easy to just have one in the morning and then call it a day. But after a while, it got to one or two in the morning. And then, you know, some afternoons are so long. I just need a coffee to keep me going in the afternoon. And that's kind of the way it progressed, right? Now, I blame Starbucks for this. So I was never a huge fan of just plain old black coffee. But when Starbucks started pushing the espresso drinks, so lattes, cappuccinos, mochas, it was game over. I mean, there's never a bad time of the day to indulge in something like that, right? Then along came COVID-19. And instead of going to work every day, now I was just working from home. And I'm literally six feet away from my Keurig. And before long, it was coffee all morning, and then in the afternoon if I felt like it. Now, many of you are actually cheering right now, saying, You go, boy, I'm with you. Absolutely love coffee. You're so awesome. And like I said, what's not to love, right? It isn't like alcohol, where you lose functioning after a few drinks. Now, I don't know. It's, it doesn't mean that it has no effect on you at all, right? We all know that coffee has caffeine in it lots of caffeine. And caffeine is a drug, if you really want to be honest about it. Caffeine is a drug just like alcohol, sugar, nicotine, etc. And it's a drug that alters your body chemistry significantly. For me, this means living dehydrated most of the time. And there are times when I feel like I'm living in a fog. Literally this fog that I just can't clear in my head. And I know it has to do with the amount of uh, caffeine that's going into my body. Now, nothing like the side effects of too much alcohol, like I said, but still side effects that are impacting my life on some level. Again, another example of too much of a good thing. Now, you'll notice a similarity in there between my two illustrations, right? That similarity is called addiction, uh, to put it bluntly. Addiction is when you do too much of a good thing, and you get to the point where you feel like you have to keep doing the good thing, even though bad things are happening. Now, don't quote me on that. That isn't a official definition of addiction. Obviously, addiction can be doing too much of a bad thing as well, right? When you think about illegal drugs, stealing, killing, you know, people can actually get addicted to those behaviors, and we would never call them good but for me, I was never really tempted with things like that. For me, it was things like alcohol and caffeine, things that are fully legal, socially acceptable, and in moderation, seem to be quite normal parts of life. But for me, maybe not so much. So because of what I've learned over time, um, I've learned that addiction might be something that runs in my family. I may have what they call an addictive personality, even though that's debatable. And it might be easier for me to fall prey to addictive behavior. And regardless if this could be proven, right, if this is an actual diagnosis that I could be given, it doesn't really matter because I can see how it plays out in my life and in my family's life 
in everything from alcohol to coffee to sitting on the couch too often, binge watching Netflix. I mean, it's easy for me to find something good and then overdo it. Now, with alcohol, I was lucky enough to get out from under that back in 2017, I believe, uh, probably before it did serious damage to my marriage and my family and probably my health. I think I've talked about it a bit on the podcast before and explained that it had to be a God thing because I had tried numerous times to stop. I knew I needed to, but each time I tried, I failed. But then in 2017, for some reason, it just felt different. Something changed. I feel like God literally stepped in and said, okay, are you done? I mean, are you really done? Because I'll help you if you really admit that you can't do it on your own. At some point that clicked and I haven't had a drink since then. Now with coffee, it's another story, right? When I look at it for what it is, I'm sad because I, I literally traded one addiction for another, uh, just a more socially acceptable one. So I haven't really tried to stop or even cut back with coffee for that matter. I enjoy it, I like it, and I don't feel like it's something that I have to purge from my life the way I did with alcohol. But at the same time, it might be helpful to moderate it a bit better. Just drink a little bit less coffee and a bit more water. What's so hard about that, right? So there you have it, another segment of personal transparency, but hopefully these two illustrations will help flesh out things as we move through the episode. So today's topic is transcending good. And in this episode, we're going to talk about three things. First, there's nothing wrong with good. Second, too much of a good thing. And finally, there's good and then there's right. Number one, there's nothing wrong with good. So after the minute of transparency, you might actually think I'm heading in the opposite direction, right? Explaining that there is something wrong with good and that we should constantly be on the lookout for the slippery slope of doing a good thing too much or too often, that all good things will eventually become bad at some point. But that isn't it at all. In fact, good existed long before there was ever bad, right? Why? Because God is good. Enough said. God is synonymous with good. In fact, don't you find it interesting that you spell God and good with the exact same letters? It's easy enough in English. Now, I would be interested to know how that plays out in other languages. But it's very interesting to me that God and good are so similar. The truth is this. Before God created us, he was good. Life was good. Everything was good. There was no such thing as bad or too much good for that matter, because good was all good. There weren't levels of good. And as we'll see, the only reason that there are levels of good today is because there's bad, because now we have something to pin up good against and determine how good it is. But I digress. When we as humans decided to give in to Satan's lies, the sin virus entered the world, creating what we now experience as the human condition. And along with that new concept came this idea of bad, badness, evil, wrong, less than good, missing the mark, etc. All things that we didn't need to understand because everything used to be good, all good all the time. God even used the word good over and over again when he created our little planet and when he created us. 
He couldn't help himself. Each time he added something new to our world, he said, yes, this is good. So the last thing I want to do is to give good a bad name. Good existed before we did, and it will live on well after our world ends. Now, the dictionary, dictionary dictionary.com, provides over 40 definitions for the word good, at least in the adjective form. And it's just crazy to me, right? Definitions like morally excellent, satisfactory, kind, honorable, genuine, sound, not spoiled, favorable, agreeable, attractive, etc. And the funny thing is that if you search for the word bad, you get an equal amount of definitions, most of which are simply the opposite of the definitions for good. So where am I headed with this anyway? Well, in essence, I'm trying to say that good isn't the problem. God is good. God created good. We have the capacity to do good. So good isn't the problem. We are the problem. Thanks to the sin virus, we are no longer good. At least not intrinsically good. Not good from the inside out. We're actually born with good and bad in us. And unfortunately, our human nature tends toward the bad. Which is why God initiated the rescue mission. Because he created us with only the good. And that's what he wants us to get back to, right? He wants us to return to that state of being, the good state of being. So he came to give us a way out so that we can leave the bad behind and once again be good through and through. Number two, too much of a good thing. Now that we have a better understanding of what good is and where it came from, let's talk about the way we view good in this fallen world. So simply put, I believe that the sin virus changed the meaning of good. We went from God's definition of good, which we talked about, right? Good is all good, 100% good, to this new worldly understanding of good, which actually fluctuates in value, right? Similar to the way that we view the word love. God's definition of love is complete love, 100% love. But in this world, love fluctuates in value. So let's flesh that out a little bit more. In this world, we use the word good to describe many things, just like we use the word love, right? To mean many different things. But the value we attach to it is rarely the same. So here's a couple examples, right? I can say food is good. But when I say that was good after eating pumpkin cheesecake, it's good on a whole different level. Similarly, when I say, oh, a friend of mine is a good person, and then I turn around and say, Mother Teresa is a good person, I probably mean two different things, right? Just because of the level of good that the person is known for or that they do. Why? That's not necessarily right, but it is what it is because we live in a world where there is this continuum between what is good and what is bad. And we attach value to everything in between. Because we each have a different worldview, the values that we attach can be totally different from person to person. For example, I might attach a very bad value to cocaine, whereas another person might believe that it really isn't actually that bad as long as you do it in moderation. And so this whole idea of too much of a good thing becomes cloudy at best. First of all, Whose definition of good are we using? And second, who determines when too much of it has occurred?
Do you see how vague that really is? But this is the world we live in, right? This is another part of the human condition. So let's finish up this section by walking through two high-level ideas when it comes to this concept of too much of a good thing. So the first one we've already touched on, right? It's the, the idea that too much of a good thing can lead to an addiction. And yet, this is cloudy as well, right? It's not like flipping a switch on and off. You don't go to sleep one night being okay, then you wake up the next morning being a full-blown addict. It's a gradual thing. It's gray. It's messy. And at the end of the day, a counselor or doctor only gives you an addiction diagnosis when you meet a very specific set of documented criteria. So actually, let's look at that for a second, just to kind of flesh this out. So according to the Gateway Foundation, gatewayfoundation.com, the DSM-5 lists the following 11 criteria for an addiction diagnosis. Now, this is mainly related to substance abuse, but we'll talk about some other uh, behaviors as well that can be addictions. So number one, using more of a substance than intended or using it for longer than you meant to. Number two, trying to cut down or stop using the substance, but being unable to. Number three, experiencing intense cravings or urges to use the substance. Number four, needing more of the substance in order to get the desired effect. This is also referred to as tolerance. Number five, developing withdrawal symptoms when not using the substance. Number six, spending more time getting and using the substance and recovering from use of the substance. Number seven, neglecting responsibilities at home, work, or school because of the use. Number eight, continuing to use even when it causes relational problems. Number nine, giving up important or desirable social and recreational activities due to the substance. Number 10, using substances in risky settings that put you in danger. And finally, number 11, continuing to use despite the substance causing problems to your physical and or mental health. So if, if I were to walk in or if you were to walk into a clinic and chat with a therapist about your substance use, these are probably the questions that they would walk you through. And then once you had answered all of the questions, the therapist would see how many of them applied to you in order to get a sense of the severity of the addiction, which can then be broken down into different levels as well. And there's really four levels that, that this article talks about. You have at risk, mild, moderate, and severe. At risk is basically just having one or more of the, the criteria. Number two is if you have at least two to three, moderate if you have four to five, and severe if you have six or more. Now I know this gets a little technical and some of you may already be checking out, but look at it this way. At least there's a scale, right? At least there's a way to try and explain how something may be impacting you. A way to determine if you've really started doing too much of that good thing. Now, interestingly enough, I've never viewed my issue with alcohol through this lens. Back when I was uh, struggling with alcohol, I had actually just come out of the mental health field. And at that time, we were still using the DSM-4. And the DSM-4 is very different than this, um, than this new version of, of addiction that they talk about and the, the way of assessing the levels of addiction. Uh, with the DSM-4, there was alcohol abuse and then there was alcohol dependence. 
And a lot of these symptoms are similar, but they clumped them into those two categories. And it's interesting that they've done away with that model and instead clumped every single symptom into one list and then talked about severity based on the number that you um, that you are, are experiencing or the number that impact you. So very interesting. Like I said, I've never even thought about this until now. Um, and the scary thing is, so as I started walking through these, these 11 items and after doing an honest assessment, I realized that I would have fallen into the severe category because I was able to check off at least nine of the 11 criteria. Now, these criteria are meant for substances, like we said, but the DSM-5 also suggests that people are becoming addicted to non-substance-related things. They are referring to these addictions as activity addictions or behavioral addictions. And according to the Addiction Center website, here are a few that made the list. So you have sex, gambling, the internet, internet use, shopping, video games, plastic surgery, binge eating or food addiction, and thrill-seeking activities. Now, each of these can be diagnosed with a similar set of criteria. So here's just some of the criteria that they list um, that you could kind of think through in your head to see if you are addicted to one of these behaviors. So similar to the other list, the inability to stop or control the behavior, feeling shame or embarrassment after doing the activity, the inability to stop the behavior despite knowing how it's impacting your body or your mind, doing more risk-taking and increasingly risky activities to thrill-seek, needing more exposure to feel the high as one used to feel while doing the activity, experiencing cravings for doing the activity, using a certain activity in conjunction with drugs or alcohol, and using the activity and justifying it to deal with trauma or poor mental health versus getting professional help. Again, a pretty good list, right? And a way to tell if you're doing too much of that good thing. For example, sex is a good thing. God created it. And when we engage in it correctly, it's an amazing gift. But when you start checking off the criteria above, you realize that sex can actually become an addiction, something that goes from good to unhealthy, and even to a bad thing in your life. So that's addiction, right? But the next thing I wanted to focus on is this idea that good can also be misconstrued. So you and I can believe that something is good, when in reality, it really isn't good, or the end result of it can end up not being good. Now this gets a little abstract, so I'll try to explain as simply as possible. And the best way to do that is to start with Satan. So we've talked about him before and how he uses everything in his power to create doubt, chaos, and uncertainty in our lives, right? And one of the things that he finds effective is messing with things that are good in a couple ways. First is taking a good thing and just flat out making it bad. But second is taking a good thing and twisting it just enough so that he can use it for his purposes in the end. So we talked about how sex is a good thing, right? But look at the ways that sex has been corrupted. You have pornography, sex trafficking, sex addiction, free sex, or sex without any sort of commitment, which leads to uh, sexually transmitted diseases and all sorts of issues. In this scenario, Satan took something that God created for good, and he turns it around into something bad or dirty in some way. 
But the second scenario is a little more subtle, right? It's taking something good and then leveraging it to mislead people later on. Maybe it actually is a good thing. Maybe it stays a good thing for a really long time. But then after being good for a while, it's turned a little bit and it can be used for evil. Now, I don't have a lot of examples of this, but the the one that I really want to talk through today is this concept of inclusivity. Yes, it's a concept, but you could also say that it's kind of a, a movement or a social trend these days, moving toward being all-inclusive all of everyone, no matter where they're from, who they are, what gender they identify with, or what they believe. Now, if you have kids in college or high school, these are things that many of them are latching onto and championing in, in the world around them. Now, on the outside, it's a good thing, right? In fact, I believe it's a God thing. God loves everyone because he created everyone. He wants nothing more than for all of his children to love him and return to him. And the last thing he wants is for some of his children to miss out on eternal life with him. So in that aspect, we should be inclusive the same way God is inclusive. So wait, you say, I thought you said this winds up being a bad thing. Well, I did. And here's one random scenario looking down the road. So what happens when this movement toward being all-inclusive shifts a bit to include some things that go against your faith? What if being all-inclusive suddenly means you have to drop some of your beliefs in order to be part of that all-inclusive crowd? At that point, you're faced with a moral decision, right? It's, it has become a moral thing or an, a decision with eternal ramifications. And if the crowd is powerful enough, you standing up for what you believe will be that much harder. And there's Satan standing in the shadows laughing as you struggle with this new thing that you're facing, right? In this scenario, Satan started a good thing. And over time, he manipulated it so that absolute truth would eventually be attacked. Number three, there's good and then there's right. So this last section of the episode is meant to be the meat and potatoes, right? This is the punchline, the original concept, the whole reason that I knew I needed to do this episode. To summarize, I believe that there are things happening right now that are good, but in the end will challenge what is right. Let me say that again. I believe there are things happening right now that are good, but in the end will challenge what is right. In other words, there are social constructs, social and political trends, even cultural changes that are so good and that are moving us in the right direction. But when you push these to the extreme, uh, they can actually go back on the original premise of all-inclusive, right? So using this example of inclusivity, right now, this means everyone on board, everyone's in, everyone is accepted. But in the future... I believe it may actually go back on that mantra and exclude people who don't rigidly follow what inclusivity means to the majority. Now, speaking of the majority, <clears throat> it's probably a good time to bring in that concept, which is this whole idea that the majority rules. We see this in all aspects of life, mainly in voting, right? So in politics, elections, meetings, anywhere where you have to take a vote, it's the majority that decides something, right? But even in sports, right? This is the way that games are decided in sports. 
you have to have the majority of the points in order to win the game. And so it is in social situations these days. The majority is a powerful force. The majority rules in so many ways. It determines what music is popular and what gets played. It determines what shows get another season and which get canceled. It determines what food items stay on a menu. It determines what type of cars are produced. Did you know that car companies are actually reducing the production of many sedan models because the majority of sales are trucks and SUVs or electric vehicles, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I mean, I grew up loving cars like the the Honda uh, the Honda Accord and the Toyota Camry. I mean, these are great sedan vehicles that are just, you just look at them as standards. And yet car companies are slowly removing these types of cars simply because the majority is purchasing something else. It's just the way the world works, right? That's the world that we find ourselves in. The majority is very powerful and they influence the rest of the population through news, television, movies, social media, mass marketing. This is something that really wasn't possible even 20 years ago. But with the technology we have today, ideas travel at lightning speed to everyone in the world at the click of a button. Now, let's pull two concepts together, right? So we talked about inclusivity and we talked about the majority rules. So we talked about inclusivity and the potential it has to get muddy down the road. But let's look through the lens of majority rules. And now we have the making for something even bigger, right? Because we said that the majority is very powerful. And when the majority is behind something, there's almost no stopping it on some level. Now, I don't know that the trend toward all-inclusive um, behavior or inclusivity has reached majority status yet, but I can definitely see it coming in the near future. With how quickly it has been adopted by the youth around the world, it's just a matter of time. Once the ruling generation begins handing off the reins to the next generation, I believe that there's going to be this huge shift toward inclusivity. Now, obviously, this is just my opinion, but it seems pretty clear to me. Now, again, this is not a bad thing. It's growth. It's maturation on some level. It's refusing to allow old, stuck-in-the-mud traditional beliefs that are many times wrong to exist any longer than they need to, right? It's refusing to allow questionable things to happen, choosing not to look the other way when it comes to issues like social justice issues, gender, race, glass ceilings, and everything else. But with all of this good that we see in the world today, can we take it too far? Can we do too much of a good thing in this area? Now take a deep breath. We're almost done. The final thing I want to bring up is this whole idea called the cancel culture. So many of you will recognize what I'm talking about. But for those of you who don't, let's just define it really quick to make sure we're on the same page. So let's use an article from the New York Post to help us out. Uh, this article is called, What is Cancel Culture? Everything to Know About the Toxic Online Trend by Brooke Cato. So the first thing I found interesting about it was the title itself, right? Where they refer to it as a toxic online trend. Interesting, right? Because they suggest that it happens online more often than not. But they're probably right. I mean, people are so much more toxic and polarizing on social media than they are in person. 
And the article goes on to define it for us. So here's the definition. Cancel culture, the phenomenon of promoting the canceling of people, brands, and even shows and movies due to what some consider to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. So apparently this is not a new phenomenon. The article explains that we've been punishing people for years for stepping outside acceptable social norms. However, social media is literally the gasoline that has lit the fire in this area and made it even more invasive in society. The article goes on to list some, some of the people and things that have recently been canceled. So they list Joe Rogan, uh, classic Disney movies, Dr. Seuss, J.K. Rowling, Eminem, uh, the Central Park Karen, companies like Uncle Ben's, Aunt Jemima, and Mrs. Butterworth, uh, and even holidays like Columbus Day, all canceled by this majority culture. Now, I'm not defending any of the people on that list or any of the holidays or any of those things, but it is fascinating how the majority has able to so quickly and forcefully cancel them, put them down and literally impact their existence without a lot of evidence or even like legal hearings or anything. They simply spoke and the culture listened and that person or that thing is canceled. Okay, so keeping this in mind, let's wrap things up with two realities that I believe will surface near the end of time. So reality one is that it will be very tempting to be part of the majority, the group doing the canceling. Why? Well, it's in our DNA. It's part of the human condition. It's part of human nature, right? We want to be popular. We want to be part of the in crowd. The last thing we want is to be seen as uncool or, you know, the odd man out, the oddball who thinks differently. But as Christians, we need to stay focused on what is right and not just what seems good at the moment. The Bible is pretty clear. As things wind down on planet Earth, those who choose to do what's right will be in the minority, not the majority. Pretty sobering when you look at it that way, right? But then again, Satan is the master of illusion and misdirection. And finally, reality number two, being canceled isn't all bad. Now, I know on the surface it doesn't make sense, right? I just talked about how bad the cancel culture is and how negative the side effects are and that it is a toxic online trend. But at the same time, I don't see it going away. And I expect at some point I or we will be up for cancellation if we continue to choose right over what's good. The Bible is also pretty clear about this. Um, When you read prophecy in the Bible, you know, it never talks about the majority making it all the way through to the end. Instead, it talks about the minority being the focus, the small group, the group who is attacked, persecuted, canceled, because they don't go along with the crowd. They choose right over what's good. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. Number one, like we said, there's nothing wrong with good. What are some of the good things you see in your life right now? What are some of the good things that you are adding to the world around you? Number two, we also said too much of a good thing may not be the best thing. So are there areas in your life where you're overdoing a good thing? 
Are there addictions at play, substance-related or behavioral addictions that are causing problems in your life? If so, is there someone you can reach out to this week to take your first step toward health and healing? Number three, we ended with the truth that there is a big difference between what is good and what is right. So where are you at right now with the whole majority rules thing? Are you trying really hard to be part of the majority? Or can you see how you might have to sacrifice some of your beliefs in order to remain there? And that's it, folks. That's all for today. Uh, Thanks again for joining us on the journey. Before we fully sign off, I just want to talk for a minute about the month of December. So I am super geeked because my family has agreed to be on the podcast again. Not a roundtable discussion like we did before, um, but we're actually going to do one week for each of my family members and talk about something that's important to each of them. So starting next week, we'll do four consecutive weeks using this kind of new format. And I can't wait for these conversations. I can't wait for you to be a part of them. Uh, Basically, I asked each person, you know, just to kind of think through what's important to you, what's something you're passionate about, and would you be willing to come on the show and talk about that? So can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. Then I think at the end of December, there'll probably be a short break, maybe a week or two uh, break. And then in January, we jump right into conscience-driven therapy, which I'm also looking forward to. Uh, It's been a long time coming. And I think I've already worked through probably five of the 10 episodes for that. So have a really good idea of, of what's coming and where I want to take that. So looking forward to that. Uh, But until then, have a great week. Enjoy the good in moderation, of course. And as always, keep transcending human. For more information on Transcend Human or the Transcend Human podcast, visit us at transcendhuman.com. There you'll find all of the podcast episodes along with the show notes. You'll find blog posts and other resources that will be helpful to you. You can also find our social media links there, and you can contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. And finally, we would love it if you would share the podcast with friends and family. Uh, If you do have an extra minute, stop by Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a rating and a review. That always helps to boost us in the rankings and ensure that more people find us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next week.